Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. This week, I have Dan and Adrian with me once again, and this is another installment in our Harrison Assessment Series. This week, we are talking about the strategic acumen paradox. The strategic acumen paradox measures both optimism and analyzing pitfalls with each other. And when we're both optimistic and we analyze pitfalls, we fall into a quadrant called realistic optimism. As usual with these episodes, you can take a look at the thumbnail if you're listening on Spotify and see the visual representation of this paradox. And as usual, if you yourself would like to take the Harrison assessment to find out your preferences and uh, dominant traits, or if you'd like your team to take the Harrison assessment so that we can map out the culture and see what might be wanted and needed to be more effective, there's a link in the description of this episode. Go ahead and click that. Reach out to us. We would love to hear from you. Now let's dive into it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the conversation. My name is Chad. I'm here once again with Adrian and Dan. Gentlemen, how are you? Great. Good, good to be here. Thanks. Well, awesome. I'm excited to be here. We are continuing our conversation in the Harrison assessment. Um, and these, I've been really enjoying these episodes, dissecting these paradoxes in the Harrison assessment. Uh, for those of you who haven't joined us in the series prior, I'll do a quick explanation, nothing too long. If you want more information, you can check out the description of this episode. Uh, but the Harrison assessment is a tool that we use to map out culture for companies uh, and also assess the um enjoyable the the enjoyability of work for an individual so basically it's an assessment they take an individual takes um about a 25 minute assessment ordering things in which they enjoy um and then we get all kinds of data based on their answers um and then we can take those individual answers and we can map them out as a team and and a culture and find out where we might be deficient or where there might be conflict and explore that and and it's a really really powerful tool and we've been exploring each individual paradox there's 12 paradoxes um in the report and um the entire report is based on this idea that you know paradox theory that there's two uh two traits that seem to be opposing each other um, to be seem to be opposites, but when in balance together, they're effective. And, um, and so we just explore, we're, we've been exploring a bit of that. So today we are exploring the paradox called strategic acumen. And uh, I, again, I want to stress, we, we always give the definitions anytime we use these terms and within the Harrison, because um, there could be all, all sorts of, uh, different understandings of what these terms or words mean. We want to make sure we're talking from the same, from the same base. So um, Harrison defines strategic strategic acumen as how you approach opportunities and mindfulness of difficulty. So there's two traits that it measures. The first one on the vertical axis or the vertical axis is optimistic, and the second trait is analyzes pitfalls. So you could see how in, in normal thinking, those could be seen as opposite traits or you can't have one without the other, or I'm, I'm sorry, if you, if you have one, then you probably neglect the other, but it's, it's just 
not true all of the time. So we want to, I want to dive in. That's, that's these, I feel like these episodes always have so much of me at the, at the forefront. Um, so I want to dive in right away with a question first, uh, Dan, you always have any kind of clarifying, um, information or anything like that. Is there anything you want to stay, say generally, or either of you, is there anything you want to say generally about this paradox? Um, yeah, I just that any paradox seems opposite. The traits seem opposite, but they're interdependent. And in this particular one, optimistic is that tendency to believe the future is going to turn out positive. And if you think about it, its opposite is the is the tendency to scrutinize potential difficulties related to a plan or a strategy. So you want to have both of those. You want to, you know, it's an interesting thing because if you're not optimistic, you're skeptic, skeptical. And, and if you're not if you're not analyzing pitfalls, well, then you're blindly optimistic. So you know it's really a it's a dance. You want to you want to be a, a good exec is going to have both of those things going on in order to identify asymmetries that are worth acting on. Positive asymmetries. Yeah, I, I, you said something really profound in the beginning there, uh, Dan. With that, they're interdependent. Um, I think they're only interdependent if you're effective. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah. interdependent. You know, you can just be blindly optimistic. I've been like that at times in my life or in a situation or in a relationship, blindly optimistic or in a scenario, blindly optimistic. Um, and we all know you probably can think about people, listeners, you can think about people in your life right now that are blindly optimistic and you don't take them very seriously. Because they're just like, oh, you know, uh, yippee, yippee, life's awesome. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about, man? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, um, you know, but you also know folks probably that are just that other side that are just the skeptical folks and everything's always, nothing can be great. It's like everything, watch out, the shoe, other shoe's about to drop, you know? And so they're interdependent. You must, you must handle both if you want to be really effective. That's what that's what we're pointing out or that's like the conversation or the aim of the combo is to find out how to deal with them in a way that's interdependent. How must they, how do they need each other? Right. Not yeah. to honor because people tend to just because we're humans set a moral claim on one or the other. Like I'm a happy person. I'm an optimistic person. I'm a visionary. I'm a, it's going to work out person. Isn't, doesn't that make me great? Or I'm a realist. Damn it. I'm here to tell the truth bad stuff's about to happen. Watch out kids. You know, it's like, like you're like tend to like shape one as being better than the other. And really both are needed to be effective as an individual, as a leader, and definitely in a culture as a team. So anyway, I think the interdependence idea is important, uh, it, but it only occurs if the aim is clear. You, you both teased out something that I wanted to, to start with right at the top. So thank you for that. And, and that is there, talking let's let's talk through the differences between blind optimism and realistic optimism when we look at this uh if you were to look at the visual of this paradox from the harrison report um there's four quadrants and when you're high on both uh, traits that means you fall in the upper right quadrant that's the balance quadrant and it, it's labeled realistic optimism now, to the left of that, the upper left is, uh, you know, and, and you would fall within this quadrant if you were high on optimistic and low on analyzes pitfalls. You would fall into the blindly optimistic quadrant. 
And the reason that I wanted to start our conversation here, um, or at least make sure that we got here, is that I think my experience is a lot of work leaders that I've worked with, coached, all of that kind of stuff, they conflate blind optimism with realistic optimism. I think the, uh, there's often there's a, an attitude that any kind of optimism is blind, you know, or, you know, so I wanted, I think it'd be interesting. To, what are some of the defining um, thought patterns or the f- defining stories that separate blind optimism from realistic optimism that you guys have ob- observed? Well, the blind optimism is, and the tendency is to focus on the possible benefits of the plan without sufficiently analyzing the potential difficulties, right? In fact, one of the things I've noticed is when somebody's blindly optimistic, they experience the discipline of uh, analyzing pitfalls as kind of a raining on our parade rather yeah. than, rather than okay, let's check this out. Because real, realistic optimism is the tendency to analyze the potential pitfalls of the plan or the strategy while remaining positive about achieving the, poten- you know, the potential benefits of the plan. But I, want, I actually want to look at these pitfalls so I can, I can assess, the is there an asymmetry here that's worth acting on now or should we look at it in a different direction? I think about this popular meme right now, only good vibes. To me, that that just feels so like blindly optimistic. It's just like only good vibes, man. <laughs> Don't bring your negativity here. Yeah, you know it's all. Oh, it's like uh, yeah, you want the good vibes, and then when reality hits you, you're gonna want. It's, it, that's you know. It's I love the old saying. You know, there's nothing more exciting than when a plan hits reality. Yeah. Hmm. Um. Something something along, along the lines of what you said. I had actually a question, Dan, because you, you use that phrase asymmetry quite a bit. Yeah. Talk about it more. Just because, I mean, uh, when you started thinking, I never thought really like that. I think a lot of executives think like that. Um, they might not use that language. Can you explain that for a second? Yeah. Um, well, asymmetry is, right, the, think of a, if, if you draw, if I drew an oval, right, and let's say the, the you want to, the, the larger part of the oval, the, the biggest round part, is at the top, and that at the bottom is a small round part. That would be a positive because on the upside, asymmetry. There's more possibility for it to make it than to fail. And and then a negative asymmetry would be where you have a larger bow or a larger uh, curve in the in the in the in the oval at the bottom, right? So let's say we're going to do something. We're going to build a, we're going to build a building and we, you know, we're going to, we're going to and what we're looking at, hey, we got to get this property and this property looks great to build something on, but we, well, let's find out what the potential breakdowns are. We find out a bunch of them, but we also, as we compare those breakdowns, we see, you know, we, the potential breakdowns, we see that there are ways to overcome them. Now we, now the asymmetry starts to come into view. It's, you know, now the question is, is that asymmetry uh, worth acting on? How, you, you know, you want as much positive asymmetry as possible. I don't know if you ever heard of uh, Taleb Nassim, uh, Nassim Taleb. He wrote a book called Anti-Fragile, and he talks about this idea of asymmetry. And the idea is to be anti-fragile is to really take the time to, to 
identify the asymmetries and then go with those, you have the greatest chance to win, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean you're going to always win, but you up your chances of winning. And the only way you can do that is to make sure you've, you've seen as much as you can as the potential pitfalls and you're, you're identifying the potential upsides at the same time. Yeah, that's great. Um, my answer to your question too is well, Chad, because I think people, uh, dance points well taken on how does blindly optimistic show up whenever you are, when in focus, I guess, is the plan itself. I, I think blind, blind optimism also shows up um, uh, for leaders whenever, because they think differently about themselves versus when they think about other people. So I, I think that people can be bl blindly optimistic about themselves. Yeah, boy, that's true. But can really be skeptical of others because it, and it's an invisible trust conversation. They wouldn't but, say it that way. Go ahead. No, you know, it's interesting that uh, the tendencies, there are, there's a bunch of research on this, that people who are optimistic tend to recover from breakdowns much quicker than people who are skeptical. Mm -hmm. They learn faster. They get back to work faster. The skeptic takes a long, much longer time to do it because they're fighting themselves. Right? And they're, they're anticipating the breakdown. And that can be just as blindly optimistic and skeptical are just two sides of the same coin. You're, Chad. Sorry. What do you mean by that, Dan? What, what do you mean by that they're the, just different sides of the same coin? Well, if, if, if I'm blindly optimistic, I, I'm, I'm believing everything's going to turn out perfect. It's going to be great. No worries. If I'm skeptical, everything is going to be shit. It's not going to work out, right? And, you know, and, and look, in, in a lot of times on teams, I've noticed some people take endorsement by being able to shoot other people's plans down. They want to become an expert by yeah. always poking a hole in it. But, you know, if you get somebody on a team like that, they can be very helpful because you can anticipate them. And if you can answer their questions, you can show, you know, you can show exactly where the asymmetry is. Yeah, that's interesting. There's this approach of like um, looking like the smartest guy in the room by shooting down every plan. Yeah. But the advantage there that uh, what I hear you saying, the advantage there is that somebody in the room is thinking critically about the plan. Yeah. And you can, and you can tell when somebody's being ridiculous like that. I yeah. Because if you, if you, I always receive what they say and see if I can answer the question. If I can't, okay, good question. Let me mark that down. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. So you use, both of you use this term. Again, you tee up everything that I had prepared to talk about, but um, you, you teed up this term potential breakdowns, right? And anytime I learned this from you, Adrian, in our work together, and I use it daily uh, with my clients in the coaching context, because usually our conversations are in the context of going after something, right? There's something next, there's something new they're committed to, uh, they're going after, they may not know how they're going to get it, but they're determined to get it. And that's where we can come in and offer some perspective, some language, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, one of the exercises that I really uh, push into or really lean into is this idea of like, okay, what are the potential breakdowns in this pursuit? Say you got to have this conversation with somebody, a difficult conversation, or you're gonna, you've got a new set of um, parameters in which you're gonna do marketing or whatever. And my next, one of my next questions is, what are the potential breakdowns in this pursuit? 
Yeah. And often I'm, if, especially if they're a newer client, we haven't worked through this process together. There's a little bit of surprise there. And it's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. It's going to work <laughs> because they're hard driving oh. and, and they're optimistic and, you know, but it's, it, it becomes such a valuable practice to start to name what these potential breakdowns are, especially understanding and being aware of our own machinery. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear from both of you in that. I think both of you, I think I've seen both of you practice something similar and would love to hear what happens inside that process. Sure. You know, I, we, we tend to work with people that don't like to quit. So um, you know, it's so it's, it, I think there can be, if, if people see themselves as a, you know, determined, persistent, tenacious type, I think a lot of, a lot of times leaders get in trouble because of this. They see themselves as someone as no matter what, I'm going to keep going. And they probably are because that's how they got to be really great is they, Oh, get up, get up again, learn, grow, go where we get in trouble as leaders is we assume other people have the same internal machinery as we do. And so I, it ends up being, I end up authentically being in blindly optimistic. I don't actually probably talk that way. And I definitely don't, uh, it, I don't know that I act that way, but it's like, I'm actually just, I'm going in really blind and because I'm me, that's okay. This is, how, I think, how the conversation goes, the unhad conversation. Because I'm me, I don't have to fully vet what might go wrong because I'm going to take it on then anyway. The challenge, though, when you're running a team is other people don't think that way. Mm -hmm. and, and challenges and, you know, from outside or challenges from inside or the market or timing or something breaks in the product or the team starts to suck or fill in the blank, any kind of um, adversity, uh, you know, can really hinder folks. Like they decide to be hindered. Right. And that's, I mean, optimism is that I was just reading, but rereading at least how Harrison defines it, like remaining positive about achieving potential benefits. That's the realistic optimism piece, remaining positive. If you're a tenacious type, you're probably going to remain positive anyway, because like, oh, this happened. So what? Let's go or I'll, I'll overcome it. But when you're dealing with others, uh, pre thinking through what the challenges might be to your point, Chad, or the exercise you do with them as leaders, but then them pre thinking through what the challenges might be with the team yes. is, a way to, is a way to build in maturity. I think emotional maturity on the team, because, hey, by the way, here's the big thing. The next, you know, the next quarter, here's what we're going to accomplish. Here's what might not work. Here's what I think is probably going to break along the way. Bam, bam, bam. Here's what might not work along the way. Bam, bam, bam. Let's talk for a few minutes before we get started about what we'll do if this comes up. And then people are prepped for battle, right? Okay, good. Now I've already, you know, we know this works with like visualization and, and people imagining themselves performing, um, that that works. Uh, from a neuroscience perspective, this is essentially what we're talking about here is let's imagine the difficulties before they're actually here and how not only just imagine what they are, but also imagine what we'll do when we face them. How will we overcome them? If this happens, how are we going to overcome it with the assumption that we're going to overcome it? How will we do it? And then then when it comes up or if it if it if it does come up, no problem. If it doesn't, we're already strong. Yeah. You know, and that's a transferable skill, strength, tenacity. You know, the willingness to take something on is a transferable skill. 
I was ready to take on this thing, but it wasn't that, oh, it was this thing instead, no problem. Throw, you know, throw myself at that. So I think, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, uh, those are the dynamics that leaders will sometimes, you know, be naive to what their people, the, what their teams need, the, sorry. Sometimes leaders will be naive to the process their teams need to go through mentally before battle. That's my point. Yeah, well, I mean, I had a client about 20 years ago, he hired me to help him retire. He'd done very well. He wanted me to help him, you know, scale his business so he could sell it. Came in, did that. Things were going great. He had a ton of money saved up. He was ready to retire. His wife's excited. He comes to me one weekend. He says, okay, I'm going to open a restaurant. Hmm. I go, what? (laughs) Have you ever been in the restaurant business? He goes, yeah, I was a waiter once. I'll, I'll kill it. I said, it'll do well. I go, that's what I'm afraid of. It'll do well. He says, what? I go, I thought your vision was to retire. He goes, this town needs a restaurant. I think it'll be great. I said, have you thought about how that's going to affect your wife and and kids? Oh, I got it. Don't worry. So I I got into a long cut. He had me meet with he and his wife. He got mad at me because when we started going through the downsides, she got upset with him. He fired me. He starts the restaurant. He calls me eight months later. It's killing it. And he can't figure out why he's making no money because the money's going out. The people are stealing out the back door. His wife left him. He thought he could. He did a bunch of stuff that just killed him. Ended up losing his business. He did not retire. It was one of the most difficult things I've ever seen. Uh, and we, you know, we were able to salvage some of it, but it's, it's just sad, you know, because, I mean, I've done it myself where you just think you're invis- invincible, right? You th- and and, and, you, and he, he made the thing work. You know, he could have made it work. But when his wife got up, when he and his wife split, that was it. You know, that's, that brought everything down, the whole house of cards. So, mm. And I think that's, that's, when you do, that's the ultimate team, right? How often what you're doing is affecting your family as well. You got to think about all that. I, I remember that conversation. I felt so bad yeah it's such a powerful for me it's such a powerful exercise adrian as you were talking about like this tendency for leaders to just like no matter what comes up keep going i would say i don't relate to that i i have a different experience in life and machinery and awareness of how i I, what tends to happen for me is that i come up with an idea that i think is a really good idea and i get really excited about it and for some reason, the way I, th- I feel like the way that I get myself to act on it is to pretend like nothing will ever go wrong with it. Um, and blindly optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which is funny because that's not what Harrison shows from my, from my, um, from my report, but uh, just w- observing myself over the years is that I get really excited about an idea and then when the trouble comes, when the pitfall happens, uh, when I come up against a breakdown, I start to, to guess, second guess my idea. Yeah, well, that, that's the skeptical. Yeah, that's skeptical. Right? Okay. And you're flipping between the two because yeah. skeptical is you start second guessing yourself. A blindly optimistic, just an optimistic person wouldn't second guess themselves a lot. They would, they would just keep, like if you're, if you're really balanced, you just keep looking at how, okay, now do we overcome this, overcome. The more skeptical you are, the more you feel like it's going to fail. feels like it's overcoming you, right? You're waiting for the other foot to drop. Yeah. 
So I'm a five on optimistic. So I'm right on the line. Right. Um, and I'm a seven on analyzes pitfalls. So um, my area, my, um, what do you call that? The, the larger circle, the um, uh, behavioral tendencies area. I mean, it goes into all different. Oh yeah. So you, you ping around. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So where do you gentlemen lie in this paradox? I'm a nine, uh, a 10 on optimistic and nine on analyzes pitfalls. Wow. Yeah. And that, that, that I used to be lower on analyzed pitfalls, but I think after about 15 years ago, I, I got beat up pretty good. So I learned. <laughs> <laughs> Are you super balanced too, Adrian? Yeah. I was just thinking about Dan's, Dan's scores and how that makes sense in the way that I know him anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, eight on optimistic and seven on analyzes pitfalls. So pretty much in the right box, in the top right box, I can, I can edge into blindly optimistic. Yeah. That's so interesting. So um, Dan, you talked about being blindly optimistic and being skeptical the, they're the two sides of, of one coin. Is there, if you have like team dynamics, how, what are some workaround strategies? What are some opportunities? And we also talked about, I mean, it's great to have that other, that somebody questioning the plan and that kind of stuff. But what, when you have somebody who's skeptical or you have somebody who's blindly optimistic, what are some workaround opportunities? What, how do you start to, once you're aware of your machinery and you have this cool tool that shows you exactly where you fall and how you are in relationship to the rest of your team, which is just a, a really powerful piece of information in general. But then how do we start to work with um, a splattering across this, uh, across this paradox? Well, you know, people are skeptical, but they're often – if somebody's really skeptical and they're not getting off it, it's probably not about the plan. It's probably about what they're going to get out of it if the plan it, it succeed, succeeds. So a lot of times a leader will bang on the possibility for the team and this is good for the company, et cetera, rather than try to understand how this person's viewing it. Because they, they are usually when you have come up with a new plan, you're going forward people get destabilized because they've already, they've made themselves comfortable in the current plan, right? In the current configuration. So you wanna be able to identify and have them connect their own interest with the new plan. And that can help, that can open up a lot with them. But I, I, instead of just banging on, this is great for the company, look at, and it very well may exactly be like that, but how is it great for your team, for each team member? What's What's, if they're going to pay a certain price, acknowledge that. And then what's the benefit, the long-term benefit for them? Yeah, I think it's great. The, um, and I'll, I guess I'll, I'll think about the other side too. Yeah. You know, the, this is what ends up when teams get stuck. A lot of times it's here. Cause this is really, this is really their viewing. Meaning mm -hmm. like, what do we think is going to happen? That question, by the way, and people that have heard us talk, a lot of times we'll talk about our talk about these things we call this the, the three laws. The last one of the three laws is future-based language generates or creates present state, i.e., like what we think is going to happen really 
for us as individuals, if I'm here thinking that something's going to work out, I show up like it's going to work out. And you know what? It tends to work out. If I show up as if something's not going to work out, I tend to show up like it's not going to work out. And I tend to actually make it not work out. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So I, I presence my vision in real time, really. Like I generate the, I, I aim, let's see, how do I, I, I uh, influence the moment to match my view of the future. I'll say it that way. Now, so a lot of times on a team, there are lots of these different, these polemics show up where it's like, here's the positive one. And here's the, let's go, let's let's say positive and negative because people are really moralistic about this stuff. Here's the the positive person. Here's the negative person. I'm not saying it's like that because we need healthy, um, healthy skepticism like a healthy questioning, what might not work? Why might this be a bad idea? Why might I not be the right person for the job? Why might we need to wait? You know, anyway, those are healthy questions, I think, mature questions. But people don't think of them that way. They label them a lot of times on a team as here's the negative person. Oh, here's Tom again, pointing out again why we, this isn't, you know, it it shows up like that on the team or here's Susie. Look at her. She's flittering. There's a little butterfly. Here's a little butterfly Susie over there thinking everything, thinking the world's awesome. You know, anyway, these types of, so whenever a team's together talking about the future, these polemics show up. Um, And, you know, if, if either side doesn't surrender their poll, their commitment to make the, you know, the, the skeptic, the skeptic, person needs to make sure that pe- we're being sane, probably in their own mind, we're doing being smart. And the, you know, the blindly optimistic person needs to know, hey, we're, we're, we're probably moving together or, you know, it's hopeful or it's energetic or it's, you know, fun. Like, you know, the, those things to be able to give up the ground of either one of those poles and listen to the other, the other side. Um, and honor the other side, you know, so if you find yourself to be a skeptical person, like naturally, um, and that's your preference, then like one of the things to do to work around is to like buddy up with someone that's insane to you, you know, someone that's like really positive with no regard for how hard it's going to be buddy up with them and realize, Oh, I need them to balance me out because I'm not like a neutral party here. I'm a naturally skeptical person. And if you're like a really naturally believer, like a, like hope, this is going to be great. Uh, You better, you know, go partner with someone that's more critical than you are. Um, Because if you can partner with them and together you can generate language to satisfy both camps, then it's just going to be even more powerful. So this is where um, I'll find it was, it was actually interesting because I'm thinking about on our, on our, um, some of our team calls or something. Sometimes I think I'm the most skeptical one of the three of us. And, you know, like, or I'll come in asking questions. Are we sure we need to do that? Or how's this going to work or blah, blah, you know, it's like, but I wonder how much I, I do that to balance us out at times. It was funny. It's like, yeah, it makes sense. Dan's 10 out of 10 optimistic. I feel like I lower my optimistic at times to kind of balance ours. If both of us are up to, you know, cause both of us are, you know, really positive and forward leaning and, you know, believe in. You know, I always like it to do that too. I love that. Action matters, you know. Yeah. But anyway, but really representing both poles of the conversation because Dan will do that with me. I'm, I'm like that around finances, blindly optimistic. And Dan will be the other side of the conversation, which is great. I need that because I'm like, oh, it's great. Let's go. You know, and he, he brings the sobriety, if you will, to that domain. So, 
Um, anyway, that so that's my thought is like really honoring the opposite of you. You don't need to change. You don't need to be less of who you are. Like if you're skeptical, that's okay. But go partner, find a way to be skeptical in a way that serves the team. Yeah. yeah. Most skeptics are self-righteous. So don't be that. Don't, don't think you're the smart one. Don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. you know, that's the beautiful thing about this tool is it provides language. Yeah. Open this kind of conversation to explore and, to, you know, because a lot of times people just aren't even aware that these dynamics are going on. Yeah. Right? And they really are. That's the 12 paradoxes are just describing dynamics that anybody on a team accomplishing anything together are going to be navigating on a daily basis. Yeah. Sometimes other, sometimes certain paradoxes are more prevalent than others, but you, you know, you're going to be navigating them. And this one here particularly is in the leadership column. It's a very big part of leadership, yeah, which is. is the ability to hold the vision and anticipate the, the potential breakdowns yeah. and then engage people so that they can carry the same consciousness. Yeah. I was just thinking how, um, if you guys, if listeners had gone through a debrief with us, we'd point out the fact that like the, the dominant traits on the, on the y-axis and the supportive traits on the x-axis. Um, and so optimistic is the dominant trait, like it's the heavy hitter of the two. Um, and the analyzes pitfalls is the supportive trait. Now, but what's ironic about at least this, this is my, we ran my report against the CEO, the essential trait, and so another way of looking at it is the essential trait is actually the analyzes pitfalls. The, yeah. you know, the, the uh, supportive trait is the optimistic, right? So as a CEO, if I'm not, what their, what their reporting shows is as a CEO, if I'm not willing to analyze pitfalls in an effective way, it's going to really be a huge detriment to my performance as a boss. Um, but then as a leader, I would say as a leader, if I'm unwilling to be optimistic, find a way to generate optimism and hope. And, you know, I, I think out of optimism comes inspiration and motivation and, you know, engagement. I think those things come out of optimism. I, I want to be in the future. The future is great. And I want to be there essentially. Then I'll also fail um, as a CEO. But, you know, so anyway, so one of the interesting things I was just noticing is like optimism is actually like the baseball bat of the two of them. But the essential one is the the analyzes pitfalls. So pitfalls, yep. it's interesting. I'm just I'm thinking through some of my clients too that are really high on analyzes pitfalls, but have struggled or have spent a lot of time struggling with people, getting them behind quote unquote behind what they're up to. And I think it's because they don't spend enough time enrolling people into a future, mm. uh, i.e., optimism. Yeah which is one of Dan, I think probably why you're a 10 out of 10 on optimism. You're always enrolling people into something like, you know, it's been your claim to fame, you know, effectiveness. Uh, part of part of what makes you really effective as a human, as a leader, as an organizational leader, as an entrepreneur is like always enrolling people into what you're up to. Um, but anyway, it's just not enough to like be really smart or even have a keen sense of how to overcome trials you got to be willing to enroll other people into a future that's worth having yeah. and worth overcoming these trials together. I wanted to comment on one thing that I think was a through line with both of your comments. And that was this, having this tool available to you. If you don't have this tool available to you, um, you're making these judgments of those on your team with your 
lived experience as the baseline, right? So <laughs> you're, you're judging them according to what you experience and what your machinery is rather than a, um, nonpartisan, what's the, what's a better word for that? I'm, it's not coming to mind, but like a neutral, um, a neutral resource that actually measures with science and, um, and proven theory and all of that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to just notice for those judgments that you have of the people on your team, how much of that is your own story or how much of that is a compensation for your own story or what you're afraid you are, right? Whereas if you have this tool, then you, it, it's objective. I mean, you can take a look at it. You can compare everybody on the team. You can see where you land and you can see where uh, Butterfly Sally, I don't remember what you called her, Adrian, but I think, it, I think it was somewhere around that and where she actually falls and where her strengths are and her traits and if she's, you know, where her balance is and all that kind of stuff. So just interesting. I, I just... I really, the more I dive into this and use it, I really love it. It's just so powerful. Um, the one other thing, the other uh, observation I was making when we approached this paradox um, that measures optimism, optimistic and analyzes pitfalls is that there's another one in that we've already explored. There's, so this is a past episode. You can go listen to it if you haven't, is the paradox of strategic, which is also in the leadership column but it measures risking and analyzes pitfalls. Mm -hmm. So that analyzes pitfalls is a common trait that shows up in these, in both of these. I just thought that was interesting. How, uh, other than just definition, how do you, it is a, is I happen to fall in the exact same spot for risking and optimistic. That's interesting. Are they connected? Are they, is there a through line? Is there, I mean, or can somebody be very optimistic, but not risking? Oh, I, I've had people, plenty of people who are very cautious, but optimistic. Okay. So they're not actually out there taking risks, but they're just, uh, they believe everything's going to work out. Yep. Wow. Well, and the, if you look at, uh, for the listeners, you know, the, all of these paradoxes show up on one main graph, there's 12 of them. And so what we're talking about now is, um, the, uh, you know, these, these are both in that leadership column, which is the column on the right. If you can imagine with me, the column on the right, one of them that uh, we're talking about today is the bottom right of that, of that 12, uh, paradox graph. And then the one Chad just brought up is the top. Now, why I bring that up is the top is the initiating row. Like if you are initiating a project, mm -hmm. that's why it's risking versus you know, yep. risking paradox against analyzes pitfalls. This is then the maintaining row, which is the bottom, which is optimism uh, paradox against analyzes pitfalls. So Chad, just for those that are listening, the, but my thought with is, is there are people that are optimistic about how to move forward, but might not, want to be, we want to take the risk on, on starting, you know, from the jump, like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to take this on myself. If you get it going, I'm in, <laughs> you know, I'll wait I'll, here, here, go ahead and do that. Come back with me next quarter. We'll see if it's happening. Then I'll come in and support and da da da. da. Um, but so I, I, I think there's a, there's an at stakeness that someone must be willing to have to, for a higher risking score. Um, but they might be optimistic about it. Just don't want to jump in at that early phase. 
or don't, you know, don't, don't get as much natural um, thrill out of taking something on that might not work. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's a great question though. It's very interesting. Yep. I appreciate all of that. So as we start to wrap up this conversation around strategic acumen, optimism analyzes pitfalls, any final thoughts, um, any, anything that is still unsaid about this paradox? No, but I'm optimistic we can find out if there is. <laughs> I'm optimistic that if, if you ask, I'll, I'll come up with something. The, I don't believe it's possible. <laughs> I think this is, you know, let me just bring this up in the context of conflict real quick. Um, because I think as another, another, usually when we're in these conversations, certain clients fly through my head. And I was just thinking about this uh, dynamic between a head of sales and this CEO type figure. And there were all these conversations they wouldn't have. And I knew, I knew about it from the side of the CEO figure and why he wouldn't talk to the head of sales about certain things, even though I'd keep sending him in there. Hey, why don't you talk to him about this? Why don't you talk to him about this? And, you know, his, so what was going on for him was how it might go wrong how the conversation might go south. Like, I don't want to upset the apple cart. The guy's doing a good job. And my conversation was always about, well, yeah, he's been doing that for the last 10 years. What's the next level for this guy? Um, but a lot of times if they don't infuse or find a way to infuse optimism uh, into yourself as you're about to walk into, if you want to like disrupt even the good for the sake of the great, um, this dynamic might show up where I'm just like, you know, I, I'm unwilling to face the potential downside. Um, I don't think it's going to work out. So anyway, this might, this, this dynamic, if not explored, might be showing up in lots of places and really stealing from the bottom line for the company and just stealing from or taking from what's possible, even in the cohesion. Cause most, most people that you want to have a instructive conversation with would love to have it. They really would because everybody I know wants to get better. Now there's a way they want to have it, but you know, who doesn't want to be more effective? Who doesn't want to be, you know, more productive? Who doesn't want to be more, uh, you know, at the end of the day, recognized, appreciated, all those types of things. That's on the other side of some kind of positive transformation most of the time. And sometimes that's only on the other side of a corrective revelation type convo. But if a leader, if you're not willing to have it, because you don't think it's the upsides there, you know, you might be giving up on really, you know, what makes a, a good employee be great. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point to land on. Um, thanks for that, Adrian. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for the conversation guys. This is, I love these. I've really loved dissecting each of these paradoxes and um, being able to kind of put myself on the line and find out what's going on, be a little more aware of who I am, how I show up on our team. Um, I want to, I also want to be uh, explicit as here as well, that if, if this is a tool that um, you think would help both the way you lead as an individual and the team dynamic that you're, that you're in um, we would love to be able to apply this um, 
to your team and the work that you're doing. So you, there's a link um, in the description of this episode, time to take new ground.com. Uh, you can go ahead and click on that, get in touch with us, and then we can take a look at what it might look like to use the Harrison assessment to whatever goal and uh, vision you are currently working on. All right. Thanks, everybody. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. All right. Bye-bye. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.